This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Greetings, Andrew. How are you doing, Monica? I've been waiting for this moment my whole life. I think you've been waiting for it for multiple lives. Well, then this is a letdown. (laughs) I think that your soul has gradually been evolving over hundreds of years all leading up to this moment and our interaction, the interaction that you and I are having right now could potentially transform history. It's possible that while it won't change history right now, this recording and our actions could ripple outward hundreds of years into the future and suddenly change everything. Well, that does no no good for royalties. It really, yeah, it really doesn't. That kind of (laughs) sucks. Womp womp. I think that might be the um, subtext of Cloud Atlas is that, well, (laughs) sucks for you guys trying to profit off of your art. (laughs) Yeah, this is episode number 25 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie Cloud Atlas. If you're new to the show, basically this is the show on Film Geek Radio focused on in-depth discussion of mainstream blockbuster films. And usually each week we release an episode in two parts, and the first part is spoiler-free, and the second part uh, is where we really talk spoilers. But this is actually just going to be a bonus episode. Uh, we really want to talk spoilers, and we apologize that this episode is is a little late. Uh, Monica, you and I have been trying to find time in our schedule to record this for about two weeks now, and it just it it we've been having trouble <laughs> putting it together. So it as it worked out, our regular episode this week is on Skyfall, and this is just an extra bonus discussion for your enjoyment. So I think what we're going to do is we're just going to give maybe our spoiler-free impressions of the film in 30 seconds or less, and then really dive into the film. Is that okay with you, Monica? Sure. Okay, Monica. I know usually you give the synopsis about the movie, but I thought I'd go ahead and give the synopsis of Cloud Atlas this week and just let our listeners know that it's about... Everything. Oh, you took my answer. Sorry. Didn't, didn't mean to spoil your synopsis. But uh, why don't you go ahead, see if you can break it down for us, and, and, and what exactly happens in this movie. So Cloud Atlas is basically a very elaborate sort of movie. It's many storylines of people's lives that their spirit keeps repeating. So it's how different actions affect individual lives but how we still relate to one another you know we go into the past in the 1800s towards the future that only the Wachowskis and uh tom tyker could um imagine so it's it is kind of what andrew said is everything it's life and everything a part of it. What is life? What is the meaning of life? What do we make of life? And it also stars Tom Hanks and Halle Berry and Hugo Weaving and Jim Broadbent. And Hugh Grant. Nobody remembers Hugh Grant. And Hugh Grant, yeah. And and, and Ben Wishaw. And 
they're all in these multiple stories in these multiple time periods. There are five storylines. Six. Six? I lied. Six storylines. I wanted it to be five. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted it to be three, really, because I got the point after the third time around. But it's, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll wait judgment. <laughs> All right. Well, before we really dive into things, here's a clip. Yesterday, my life was headed in one direction. Today, it is headed in another. Yesterday, I believe I would never have done what I did today. These forces that often remake time and space, that can shape and alter who we imagine ourselves to be, begin long before we are born and continue after we perish. Our lives and our choices, like quantum trajectories, are understood moment to moment. At each point of intersection, each encounter suggests a new potential direction. All right, Monica, before we really dive into things, because this is a bonus episode and I, I, I don't really, I, I really want to talk spoilers with you real quick in 30 seconds or less. What are your overall spoiler free impressions of the film? Did you like it? Do you think our listeners should see it? I can appreciate the overwhelming artistic effort that went into this. For it being 172 minutes, it doesn't feel the length. You know it's the length because you can feel your butt going numb, but you, it definitely moves well as a story edited together. I think the craftsmanship is impeccable. But, you know, it takes a certain kind of film goer to actually go after this kind of movie. This is not, you know, the family kind of movie. This is not what you're going to take your little sister to. Um, this is probably not what grandma wants to go see. But I think for the adventurous ones, it's definitely something worth checking out. I would say go see it in theaters if you get a chance just for the ambition and the scope of what the Wachowskis and, and, and Tom Tickver are trying to do. In terms of the film itself, I I did not really like it. Mm. I think it's it crumbles under the weight of its own ambition. I, th- I think it's trying to make you, the audience member, feel like it's an important, groundbreaking film. And the truth is, it's not really a groundbreaking, important film. It's very flawed. I don't think it works nearly as well as a lot of people seem to think it does. It's possible that on a second or third viewing, it might all click for me. And I I might get it, but after one viewing, I, I I came away just feeling like, well, that was kind of a waste of time, and yeah, it really didn't do much for me. So I agree with you there. It does get a little preachy with the same, you know, treat each other nice and humanly as possible because it is literally beaten into your face six times over. But I think in terms of the actual story dynamic, how it intercut each one with the other, it you could also say, I mean, I appreciated it because it was very crafty. I never forgot any of the storylines or anything like that. They always kind of left you in a bit of a cliffhanger. But in the same sense, it does get very tedious having to wait for the next scene in between two different stories. 
and then having that one little scene that you want to see of like this one story and then having like a, another jumping back into two other stories like it does get kind of messy right very easily the last thing i'll say before we we really dive into things and talk spoilers is that i feel like this film it's being compared a lot to the tree of life as like a more mainstream version of tree of life i think a better comparison would be that it's it's like the fountain I'm going to hurt you. You brought up the fountain. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I, I believe I read in interviews that the Wachowskis looked at the fountain in terms of editing um, and that that influenced how they edited these different storylines together because Fine. The, fa- the fountain has three storylines and it also is dealing with some very grand and very broad ideas. And I know you disagree with me, Monica. Personally, The Fountain is, on some days, my favorite film, and I think it's probably a perfect piece of cinema. Wait, did you just change that to just some days? Because, like, when I first met you, you were like, this is the Bible of cinema, and I found No, 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 no. Some days, my favorite film is Magnolia. Other days, it's Star Wars. Other days, it's Blade Runner. It changes, but a lot of the time, it is The Fountain. And I, 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 I feel that The Fountain manages to cut between three different storylines effortlessly and i think that cloud atlas unfortunately is just too overstuffed there's too many things it's trying to do none of it is really fully developed and it feels like a highlight reel of Mm. six movies just cut together well then can i say i'm really glad they didn't at no point during this film that they don't try and do some symbolic higher reference to, I don't know, illusion or something like they do in The Fountain. (laughs) What do you mean? I think I would have lost it after three hours, and then all of a sudden there's like a great Buddha god moment, and Hugh Jackman (laughs) comes down from the sky. I would have flipped chairs over. Like, I can't believe I sat through this whole thing. (laughs) I think I would have preferred that to what we got. But let's let's really dive into this thing. Um, Yes. Let me ask you, did any of these six stories in this film work for you? And if so, which ones? Yes, I love the journalist story. She was great. The, the, Berry, you're talking about the Halle Berry. Harry, Halle Berry led Set in the journalist. 70s. Yeah, with the nuclear power plant. I really dug that one. Not just because I want to kind of be a film critic journalist deal, but I love the suspense of that. And then, of course, Hugh, Hugo Weaving um, gets to be a bad guy, so... Who can argue with that logic? Did any work for you? Because it sounds like you kind of like know on and on all of them. <laughs> Here, I will. I will say this: the Halle Berry storyline I felt was entertaining in the sense of of like of like a seventies crime noir thriller. Mm, yeah. The problem with it is the same problem I had with most of the stories, which is just that I, I've seen that before. And I didn't. I don't. I don't think it really did anything new. I mean, if it's well done, I'm I'm willing to give it a shot, which I thought it was well done. So, my favorite story was probably the one set in Neo Soul in 2144, which focuses on Son Mi 451, who's a genetically engineered clone, basically. Mm-hmm. Even though that storyline does rely on some very cliche formulaic things we've seen before. I was really interested in it and I really liked the set design 
and the architecture and just the the whole aesthetic of it really drew me in. Mm-hmm. And it's it's also probably the darkest of all the stories. Yeah. Just because the whole movie is about that whole master-slave relationship and people oppressing other people. Mm-hmm. And in that Neo-Soul story, you actually have a character who discovers that she's literally eating her fellow clones. Yeah. And that was kind of chilling. And there was some, some decent action in that story. And I found myself thinking, you know what? If this was its own separate movie, it'd probably be really great. Especially if it was combined with the, 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 the last storyline, the, the really far futuristic one, yeah. which I didn't really care for all that much, except for the fact that it reveals that Sun Mi became a god. Basically, she yeah. was deified. Her actions uh, in the year 2144 were so revolutionary that they, that over time she became revered as a deity. And I think it would be really interesting to just have a film about that transition and how that happened. Hmm. I felt that way about a lot of stories. Like They could be their own movie easily. A lot of these could be their own movie. Yes, they could be their own movie, and that there are little that there are details in there that are more interesting to me than the main focus of each story itself. Mm. So, yeah, overall, I'd say the Neo Soul one was entertaining. The futuristic one, where Tom Hanks cuts Cannibal Hugh Grant's throat, would have been interesting if I had actually understood what they were talking about. Yeah, they use some strange English mishmash language, mashup language. Like it was, it was a mix of like old timey English and like Mark Twain English. Right. They're speaking in this new form of English. And while I think that's a brilliant idea, and I think that that's a fairly realistic idea, I, I mean, language does evolve over time. And I'm impressed that the Wachowskis and Tom Tickford decided to to stick so true to that vision of the book that they kept this new form of English. Mm -hmm. Again, it's possible that on repeat viewings, I would understand more of it. (laughs) But I was sitting there in the theater, and I think I caught maybe half of what Tom Hanks and Halle Berry were talking about. It was kind of like, oh, there's something with a mountain and the true true. He wants to discover the true true. The true true. True true is very important. I was kind of thinking back to a a few good men. I want the true true. You can't handle the true true. (laughs) But (laughs) Movies forever change. Yeah, I also wasn't vibing with Hugo Weaving's bad guy in that storyline because it was like a weird like Cirque du Soleil crow dude. Like I had no idea where he fit in at all other than just like this was just a straight up delusion from Tom Hanks. And for, for the most part, everything else keeps out of, like, the supernatural realm. And then all of a sudden, there's an entire character that's popping out of this guy's mind. And it is driving him insane. I thought that was very, like, out of left field. Sure, they didn't make that up. I haven't read the book, but... Yeah, it was basically this really dark version of the Mad Hatter from Alice in Wonderland or something. Yeah. And I agree with you. I, I'm not quite sure where that fits into the grand scheme of things like was he supposed to be like the devil haunting tom hanks does he actually exist is he just a figment of tom hanks's mind greed his selfishness i don't know but it was 
Yeah, it didn't make a whole lot of sense, but Hugo Weaving is so captivating on screen, I didn't mind <laughs> most of the time. Well, yeah, I'm kind of okay with anything that gets Hugo Weaving back on screen. <laughs> right, right. And I, I personally, I found Hugo Weaving to be the most enjoyable part of the film. I mean, at one point, he's a hitman, and in another story, he's dressed in drag. Uh, yes, he's, he's the nurse in drag, the evil nurse ratchet. Right. He was definitely a highlight of the film. I think my least favorite of the storylines was definitely the earlier ones. The stuff about the, uh, the slave on the ship mm -hmm. and the, uh, the, uh, the, the guy being poisoned by his doctor. Yeah. And also the one about the, uh, composer. Those two stories really didn't do much for me. Yeah, I didn't like the composer story. I'm actually kind of okay more with the, um, was it Jim Sturgis that led the slave story? Yes, I think so, yeah. Okay, I was kind of more okay with him in that one than in the Neo Soul storyline, because a lot of the main actors, Hugo Weaving, a, bun a bunch of the main Caucasian actors for Neo Soul dressed up in sort of yellow face for the Neo Soul part. And I know it's to keep the continuity of the story, like this is just souls reincarnated, but it seriously freaked me the hell out. And it was just distracting enough that I was like, wow, this just looks unreal. This doesn't look like any human being. They look more like, <laughs> they look more like creatures from the back of the goon. What's going on? Which one are you talking about? All of them. They all, well, cause they put prosthetics on and things like that to make their eyes look even more so exaggerated, you know, with the slant. And I, it just was so unreal to watch. Well, well, it's really interesting because some of the makeup is really noticeable and other times it's, you can't notice it at all. Like at the, during the end credits when they, they, they actually show all of the actors in all of the different storylines. And there were several of them, several moments where, where I hadn't even noticed that that was Halle Berry or that was uh, Susan Sarandon. And, and, and Yeah. So some of the makeup is actually really good. Getting back to the storyline about the, um, the composer, I think, again, the main problem with that one was that that just didn't have enough time to breathe. Yeah, it felt, it felt almost cartoonish how fast that one went through, the emotions. Right, it's dealing with homosexuality, it's dealing with the nature of art, it's dealing with reputation, it's dealing with uh, tragedy, ultimately, and it, it, it just really didn't fully connect yeah. to me. And also, the weird thing is that the movie's called Cloud Atlas. It's named after this piece of music that is composed uh, yeah. in, in this timeline, and I gotta be honest with you, I wasn't too impressed with the music. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sucks. <laughs> I know. I know other people have said that they love the score, but honestly, yeah, it's not exactly memorable. It's not memorable at all. I could not hum that Cloud Atlas sextet for you if my life depended on it. <laughs> That's kind of bad. But I think uh, Halle Berry also makes a reference to it when they're in the True True um, era. She reveals what Cloud Atlas actually is. Shoot, I cannot remember it for the life of me. See, this is what happens when you shove too much movie down 
a film goer's throat. She makes a reference to it again on the ship, probably. I mean, I, I know I heard it again. It's not just a piece of music. It's interwoven through the stories, Andrew. <laughs> right, right. It, it's all tying everything together. Like, ridiculous amount. The scar that's like a little shooting star or whatnot shows up on different characters to show that they're the same soul or whatnot. Different little motifs, like I think the blue stone shows up over and over again as well. I mean, the cra- like that's the thing, is the craftsmanship is there. Like They're very clever on how they put stuff together and whatnot, but I think this is just a case of like, wow, maybe a part one and a part two. I hate to say this, but maybe a part one and a part two wouldn't be a bad idea just so we could have an intermission. Right. <laughs> so we can even think about what's going on with these characters' story. I can't imagine the book if it has more details, more, you know, like you were saying, uh, the composer storyline just didn't have time to breathe. God knows how much more there might be in the book, and there might be a full-fledged character there. Um, right. I spent most of the film thinking to myself, you know what? I bet this works a lot better in the book. Than the book, yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you, we joked earlier that this film is supposedly about everything. When those credits finally started to roll and you left the theater, what ultimately were you left with what is this film really about to you is there is there any level on which it connected is there any theme that really stuck out to you well other than the dire need to go to the restroom which is why i was like oh they showed the makeup at the end of the credits that's cool i was definitely making <laughs> a run from the door <laughs> before everybody <laughs> else could make it to the restroom but um no um i guess the thing would be just you know, kind of like the golden rule, just treat others as you would have them treat you. But again, that was something that was just beaten over and over and over in different ways. Just, yeah, like you said already, the uh, forces of oppression, just over and over. It's not a good feeling you're left with, I think. Right. In each of these timelines, there are groups of people being oppressed by other people, and the main theme seems to be one of liberation, and that ultimately the oppressive forces will be overcome. Oh, here's, here's another thing, too, is that not all the stories end on a positive note. Right, and I, I want to talk about that in, in a little bit. Let me ask you this. What did you think of the whole idea of reincarnation and that whole thing with the tattoo that keeps repeating? Because supposedly, according to the Wachowskis and some of the press materials, this this movie, Cloud Atlas, it's about it's really about the the evolution of one soul who goes from being a very evil person to a good person over the course of centuries. And I'm assuming that they're referring to Tom Hanks and how at first he's the evil doctor who just wants to poison this guy and steal his money. Mm-hmm. And then by the time he, we, we get to the far future setting that soul has become a good person who's going to work towards freeing people on Earth. Yeah. Did that come through at all to you? Because I got to be honest, it did not come through to me. Yeah, I was going to say, thank God you told me that because I lost track of how many people showed up with the star. Because that's the thing, well, that, it's not just Tom Hanks either. Well, it right. shows up on other people's bodies. Right. If you, I mean, if you want to, if you want, me to buy I, I can I can maybe buy that idea that it's about 
Tom Hanks and that soul evolving over time. If Tom Hanks is the one with that tattoo, yeah, or the excuse me, the birthmark, birthmark, yeah, that stays present. But it's like I I can't even remember who had the birthmark in the first timeline. It may have been Jim Sturgis's character, and then in one of them, it's in the next one, it's the uh, young composer played by Ben with Shaw, and then in the other one, it's Halle Berry. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, is it just that the the people who are quote-unquote oppressed or mm-hmm. who are fighting against something, are, are, are they the ones that have the birthmark? Is that the continuity? Shoot, am I going to have to watch this movie again? Because this isn't exactly like a movie that lends itself to multiple watchings. It's kind of like Gone with the Wind. It's like you see it once and you're like, all right, great. And then you'll see it again because it's good or so, or you're interested in the mythology of it. And then it's like, okay, I don't need to see it for another year, right? <laughs> I mean, if if that's what the Wachowskis were going for, I say that's a good goal, but... That was not communicated. Like, in terms of this, this scale and the length of time it takes to sit for the movie. Because this, this isn't like a 90-minute, you know, walk through the park. It's 172. <laughs> right. Like, you have to make an investment to sit still and to follow through with all the stories. Yeah, that's another thing. It's not, it's not like the Transformers movies where you can walk in and out and not miss anything. This is certainly something that you have to pay full attention to, keep track of, who you're watching, what you're watching, and when you're watching it in order to keep up. Right. And while on the one hand, I like the idea that they're casting the same actors in all these different stories, mm-hmm. and, and I like that they're using their casting to reflect how souls can transcend time and, and change over time, and that souls aren't defined by race or gender or any of these other labels. I think that's a really great method to demonstrate that. The problem is there's already so much stuff going on that just adds another layer of confusion to the mix. Like, yeah. wait, 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 is this Tom Hanks connected thematically at all to the previous Tom Hanks? Yeah. Or is it just a casting gimmick? to illustrate this theme. How much exactly should we read into it? Was there any part of this film that you connected with emotionally? No way. Me either. You don't spend enough time with any character, with any one storyline, with any one character in order to like sort of invest your, your emotions into. It's to show the plethora of these souls moving through time. So in that sense, like mission accomplished guys, but at the same time, there's no way you can get close enough to any of the characters and actually feel for them when they have a loss or, you know, other than like, oh, my God, I hope they don't die. <laughs> right. And a lot of. OK, so and I guess my other thing is um, a lot of the characters are very monotone or they're not very expressive, which is kind of like, you know, a cold, especially in the Neo soul, like when the Duna Bay is taking on all of this horrible, horrible things that's going on in her world. She does it, does it with a wide-eyed stare. Right. The thing is supposed to be that, you know, the clones are human and, you know, they can feel all the emotion. I, I mean, she just kind of cried open-eyed or so. There's no, I don't know, maybe she, like, cupped her hands to her face or something. I could feel a little bit more, but it was just, it just felt so distant, especially that one. 
that that relationship also freaked me out. But it, just in general, I, I digress. It's I really didn't feel like there was even an opportunity to get close to anyone. Right. And again, just to just to bring back the fountain. Oh. The thing about the fountain is that is a movie essentially about one relationship. Well, it's also half the number of stories. Half the number of stories, and the driving force of that movie is this love story set in the present day about a guy and his wife. And that's the emotional core of the movie. And because it's really only about those two people, I think that that movie is able to emotionally involve the audience in ways that Cloud Atlas can't simply because it is trying to do too many things. And there are Mm -hmm. too many characters, and there are too many things to keep track of, and there's no time for the audience to just sit back and experience the film and just allow themselves to be swept away by the characters and and really get involved. Does that make sense? No, it totally makes sense. I mean, yeah, exactly what I said. It's just like they they just kind of rush across the the screen, and it's like... Well, that's nice, but you know, for some of the tragedies that you do get to witness, or so, if I mean, if it was milked, if it was, you know, if you got to stay long and more emotionally invested into the characters, I mean, you can easily walk. You could have walked away crying from some of the stuff that you see, and it just doesn't happen. Right. It's so just keeps going and going and going. I ultimately came away feeling like I'm not sure what this movie was trying to say, partly because I don't understand the last scene. Can you explain the last scene to me? Future Tom Hanks has has been telling the story. Yeah. And then at the very end, it's revealed that they're actually on another planet. Yeah. And he's telling this to his grandkids or something. That he had with Halle Berry, his character. Yes. What am I supposed to take away from that? Are, Are things on this other planet much different from how they were on Earth? Is that where they let... I mean, I, I assume that space... I'm just going to go ahead and say space travel is now possible. So why why the hell not? Um, I don't think that it's anything... The impression I got was that the whole thing about future Tom Hanks was that he was stuck on Hawaii or wherever, and apparent, and, and there, were, there were other people around the world who were much more technologically advanced. Yeah. Halle Berry is one of them, but apparently they're also in decline. Yeah. And about to die off. So Halle Berry comes to Hawaii, they go to the mountain, and then she sends off a beacon to other planets or something for people, to, for, for other humans to come rescue them. Okay. I think. And then they go away to another planet. Is, I'll just is say that yes. correct? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think. I think that's what happened. I, I lost track. <laughs> I should have kept a score sheet. All I know is that at the end, they're on another planet. <laughs> Yes, this is true. I will agree with the fact that they are on another planet. I think the thing is, like, it's supposed to go a little meta in that, so this is Tom Hanks telling the story to his grandkids the same way that these filmmakers told this story to us and how we're supposed to take away this lesson. Yes, and one of the interesting things I've heard about the book and that they try to communicate in the film is that all of these different stories are being passed on through different forms of art and different mediums of communication. Like you've got the journals and you've got diaries and a a published book. And then uh, soon me sees the film based on Timothy Cavendish and, and that story. And it's 
these different forms of art and these different forms of communication mm -hmm. carrying on these different stories. The problem is I'm not quite sure what was happening in the future. And I, I, I wanted to know more about how society was functioning. Yeah. Like, I, I kind of came away from the movie feeling really depressed because it seemed like in every single timeline there was, as, as we mentioned before, it's all about how humans can't stop oppressing other humans. Yeah. And how, as a species, we just seem destined to repeat the same patterns over and over. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of came away feeling depressed by that because the movie seemed to be saying, you know, even though we'll make progress in one area, sure, we'll free the slaves, sure, we'll eventually have gay rights, but there will always be another thing that pops up that in, in a way in which we are oppressing others. And I wasn't sure if the thing at the end when they're on another planet, is that a completely new society? Have they stopped taking advantage of each other? Have they stopped enslaving each other? Are they now all living in harmony? Are the Wachowskis trying to say that over time it's very slow, but it is possible for us to change? Really because they just emerged from like living in a society where cannibalism was a thing. Well, right. But, but it's like, okay, is, is the, is the fact that they're on this new planet, is this supposed to be like a fresh new start? A do over? Well, yeah. then it comes called into question whether or not this is part of human nature that parts of people have the need to dominate one another. Right. So maybe if they live in their tent uh, outside and the moonscape or whatever, maybe they'll do okay. And maybe that's what the ideal life is. But I'm not 100% sure I buy the whole they're happy kumbaya thing. I, I can sort of see how you might, how people might be able to make the argument that the film is about the ability of individual souls to change through time. Mm -hmm. And sure, maybe you can argue that it's about one guy going from being really evil to good over the course of a hundred years or whatever, mm -hmm. hundreds of years. But the more compelling question to me mm -hmm. is, is it possible for us as a species to evolve and to change and to stop taking advantage of each other and to stop oppressing each other? And that question I don't feel like was answered in a meaningful way. And I kind of was bummed out as a result. Because everything else was driven home so many other times. Like, now all of a sudden they leave you with this question. Oh, maybe it's a choice. Andrew, maybe it's up to you whether or not he, the rest of humanity in all of time and space lives without oppressing each other. Right. I mean, Sun Mi gives this big speech about how our, our actions reach outward into the future and how they really matter and how change is possible. But I was sitting there and I was thinking, really? Is that what we're supposed to take away from this? Because all I'm seeing is that one form of oppression gets replaced by another. <laughs> <laughs> I sat through all this movie and all I got was this crappy t-shirt. <laughs> I mean, it, it seems like a really sort of hypocritical... It, it seemed like the film was contradicting itself in a weird way. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why I was trying to figure out what exactly is going on at the end on this new planet. What's going on? How is society functioning? How is it set up? Is Are there governments? It's actually a beautiful a socialist commune. <laughs> right. Is it something like that? I want to know the details. They farm moon <laughs> rocks. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing 
that sort of was in my mind was that the film is about all of these different forms of oppression, but it's not really thinking outside of the box in terms of forms of oppression that could arise in the future. You thought the cannibalism was a little old school. It's, I mean, it's going back to old tribal, yeah. you know, primitive man. But I was thinking to myself, okay, how do animal rights people feel about this? You know, because there are people that would argue, okay, animals are sentient to a certain degree. We need to stop oppressing them. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the next big rights battle. If, <laughs> oh, is that know. what you're seeing? Okay. <laughs> but then, that was in, so that was in the back of my mind, like, Okay, they didn't address that. That's a that's a possible future. I guess. But that's battle, a that's I a beautiful guess. thing about the future is that no one's n- really knows until you're there. Right. And and the other thing I was thinking is, okay, what about technology? If we create artificial intelligence, is that going to be something that that becomes like a slave class? I mean, that's what I assume sci-fi has told us, right? Right. And I, I, I guess you could say they sort of cover that in terms of the Sunmi story, but she's a clone. She's not really a, a robot. No, but they, I mean, they see them as subhuman. Right. So that was, so that was interesting to me because it was, it would, I was thinking to myself, okay, is the film trying to say that we as humans need to learn to stop oppressing each other, but maybe it's okay to oppress non-humans? What is the standard for it not being morally acceptable to oppress something? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> In the philosophy of Cloud Atlas, is it okay to use robots as mechanical labor if those robots are self-aware, but not okay to use clones because they're organic and therefore quote-unquote human? You know, that's who should be really pissed right now because everything got into Cloud Atlas other than the robots. Well, I was just trying to figure out what is the standard that the Wachowskis and Tom Tickford are trying to set out? What are their quote-unquote rules of this philosophy and of, 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 of this theme that they're trying to run with? And I wasn't really sure. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. <laughs> Let me ask you, what did, what did you make of the whole religious parallels regarding Sunmi and how she basically becomes... A Christ figure? A Christ figure, yeah. Yeah, okay. Glad you saw that, too. I just figured it was something that was going to happen because, like we saw in The Matrix, Neo more or less becomes, like, the same, the savior, the one to save them all. The, the, literally delivers them from the hell that they were in. So I almost expected there to at least be one crossover. I don't know. I almost kind of saw it like the moment that they were like this big reveal was building up towards it. I was like, all right, here, here we go. This is going to be our Neo figure. So you thought maybe she was going to change everything? Um, not necessarily. Well, she had to die for the, you know, right. sins or whatever. But, um, the fact that like the, a part, a huge part of the story is going to pivot on her. And sure enough, like that's the case. She is the true, true, Andrew. It's interesting that you bring up The Matrix because, yes, there are a lot of spiritual and religious themes running through The Matrix. Mm-hmm. But in those films, Neo comes along, he's, he's the one, he dies, and his death transforms everything. Like, it quite literally fixes The Matrix mm-hmm. or re- reprograms it or whatever. Reboots. 
yeah, it reboots it. And so it's this fresh new start, which mm-hmm. in my mind is a very hopeful way of ending things. In Cloud Atlas, this goes back to what I was saying earlier, it seemed kind of depressing to me because here Sunmi is, uh, she dies and becomes a, a god, mm-hmm. much like you could say Jesus did. And the big apocalyptic event that keeps being referred to is the fall, mm-hmm. another allusion to Christian mythology. Yeah. So I, w- I found myself thinking, okay, so great. This movie is just saying that religions and these quote-unquote messiahs may come along, but ultimately they don't accomplish anything, and we just fall back into the same patterns over and over again. Could be. That's a much more depressing philosophy than that of The Matrix. The Matrix was also preoccupied with the number six, Mm -hmm. the idea that there had been six Neos before him or whatever. Yeah. But then ultimately, he was the final one. He was the one that really did affect change. Mm -hmm. So I came away from Cloud Atlas wondering, was there any change ultimately? Was there any true liberation for humanity or are we just doomed it's a good question. Well, I was going to say the the problem was that Neo was like the end-all be-all in this society or so. This <laughs> The world of the Matrix, he was the end-all be-all. And in here, Sunmi is not the end-all be-all. She's n- she knows she's not that supernatural or so. It's, she's not the head of the domain or anything like that. She's executed, um, is martyred. And then her influence, you know, ripples through time or so. You can kind of say that's the story of Christ. Well, right. In a more, you know, realistic sense rather than, and then history was changed forever. You know, I almost want to say it's more realistic. And the the, the reason why these, I guess, crimes against each other happen over and over again is because we do have, I guess, that, I don't want to say pluralistic society, but there's different viewpoints. So not everybody believes in her, obviously. The cannibals don't give flying care or whatever (laughs) she had to say from the past. And they're certainly not interested in treating um, the people they're terrorizing any better. Uh, that's their food source. So I don't know if it's it's much more cynical than it is just realistic. I, okay, I think when you say realistic, I think what you might really mean is that it's a bit more humanist. Humanist, okay. Perhaps um, I feel like the Matrix movies are drawing very heavily on religious and spiritual archetypes, and Neo is this savior of humanity who is in many ways supernatural and he really is a kind of a deity and if you compare that to to Sunmi and the philosophy of cloud atlas mm-hmm. there's that interesting scene in the far future segment when Halle Berry tells Tom Hanks's character you know Sunmi was just a, a regular person she was just a fabricant she's not this supernatural god yeah and Tom Hanks' character has this crisis of faith, yeah, almost, and doesn't want to believe it. And at first, he wants to deny it. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if maybe the the primary message they were going for was that idea that everyone can be a quote unquote god. Everyone's individual actions have the potential to ripple out through history. I think it's the the Lutheran belief that everyone can be a saint. 
Oh, that, yeah, that's a good point. That's a, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, that idea that that because you have this truth in you, you can always also always be an extension of it. Right. That idea that Soon Me may not be a supernatural savior in the same way Neo was, mm-hmm. but the fact that she isn't, but still managed to be so influential, means that all of us can also, we also have the potential to do great things and to accomplish yeah. that, to, to, to become that influential if we want to and if we make the right decisions. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that in that sense, it's a bit more humanistic. It's saying humanity won't necessarily be saved by a supernatural God, but we ourselves can possibly save it. Yeah. Through our actions. That's yeah, I guess that's that's a nicer way of putting it. <laughs> it's 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 an interesting difference, I think, in ter- in philosophy comparing Cloud Atlas to the Matrix because while there are some similar elements mm-hmm. between them, I feel like philosophically they're vastly different. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously we just kind of dove into the rabbit hole there. Right. Right. But yeah, the, the the my main problem with Cloud Atlas is that it's just so messy. It's hard to know what exactly the Wachowskis and, and Tom Tickford were trying to say. Yeah. I don't know. Is there, is there anything else you thought was interesting about the film or that you want to hash out? Ooh, real quick. Um, if you look up on the IMDb page for Castless and on Duna Bay, they have Mexican woman as the third character that she plays. Yes. Oops, that's offensive. Um, that that whole row, that was the one part that I was kind of just like head tilt, and it happened during my favorite segment during the Halle Berry journalist um, storyline. Right, that, that kind of made me sad. Which you mean the scene where Hugo Weaving calls her a wetback or something? Yeah, that you found that offensive. I found it like so unnecessary. Why? Just what is that showing? Like. I'm not exactly sure what it's supposed to show. It's just supposed to show his unbridled racism. Yes, and the fact that immigrants are another oppressed class. And what happens in the end of that storyline? She kicks his ass. She also has, like, very bad Spanish, but that's... <laughs> right. <laughs> but what that's another instance in which the the oppressed outsider in society gets revenge basically <laughs> and rises up against her oppressor. Yeah, I I didn't buy it. I guess cuz there's already so much more out there that to like this it's kind of almost felt forced like all of a sudden they run through a sweatshop. Yeah, there's so much so much stuff crammed in here. I mean, take for example the Jim Broadbent storyline about him in the in the nursing home or it was a nursing home, right? Yeah. Okay. I guess that's a form of oppression now. Yeah, the elderly are often yeah, overlooked. Ageist. Yeah, that that was a very uh, comedic storyline, but it started off as this completely other story. story. Yeah, where he was involved. He had all these debts, and he owed the mob. And Tom Hanks was a gangster, and then suddenly it became this comedic. And I was like, what, what is happening here? And that is also the storyline that I feel like doesn't really fit into the others much at all. It, it, it's hard to keep track of how all the different stories connect. Because like some characters will be related to other characters. 
they'll marry them in the next storyline. Yeah, they'll marry them in the next storyline. And then it's like, there seems to be this weird gap between that storyline and the uh, Neo Soul storyline. Where yeah. it's basically like, okay, so Soon Mi sees the film adaptation of the book that Jim Broadbent's character, Timothy Cavendish, wrote about his own life. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of hard to... It was a little stretch, yeah. Yeah, and and, and also the, the whole subplot involving him trying to get back together with Susan Sarandon. I, yeah. What was that? They kind of just rushed through that. And all of a sudden, he shows up at her house like, no big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, no, so, a lot of the love storylines that just show up like, no big deal, it's kind of kind of didn't sit well with me. Especially, I guess, the Neo-Soul story where he rescues her and then just kind of, like, has her, her cuddles with her. Yeah. I don't know. And, and then there's the thing, like, Tom Hanks and, and Halle Berry in the 70s storyline, they clearly have this connection and he realizes he's in love with her right before he dies and i was wondering okay so is that connection ultimately what seeps through into the future 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 yeah. future it, it, you know careful guys because if you don't resolve your love interest now you're gonna have to wait a hell of a long time to pick that back up yeah yes Yes, because I believe Halle Berry played a slave in the earlier storyline. Yeah, something like that. She's she's billed as native woman for her first role. So is the through line that Hanks and Halle Berry started off far apart, and then gradually through time they grow closer together? I don't know. Is that even the same soul? Because the know. soul is supposed to change with the star, so that how the hell are we supposed to know the other people? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You need, a, you need like a, a March Madness bracket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Track. It's very strange. And the ins and outs, man. Because then some people show up in some stories and they don't repeat in the other. It's just a big mess. I think it's a beautiful mess. I mean, I will say shot in impeccably, just actually technically wise. It's very impressive. Again, the creating of the Neo soul, the imagined future, or just, you know, going back into time into different places. I was, I, I bought it. Like the locations and stuff like that, the clothes, the decadence was all there. Now, the stuff, what people, that came out of people's mouths and the way that it was edited was kind of like, Mm, that's where my problem is. Well, it's interesting you say that because there have been critics saying that Cloud Atlas is this, it's like this new type of filmmaking. It's this revolution in how movies are made. And I will agree that it's ambitious, but is it a new way of making movies? Absolutely not. Is it something that hasn't been attempted before? Absolutely not. Again, I say go watch The Fountain. I mean, is it a revolution if only 10 people show up? I would say yes, you can have a revolution if only 10 people show up. But in terms of storytelling, the six storylines are fairly straightforward, fairly cliche, and they're just edited together. And while I'll agree it's well shot, there's mm -hmm. nothing in the filmmaking technique that really stuck out to me as something new or particularly 
groundbreaking. Mm. And really, I, I think you could have taken like one or two stories out and nobody would have known the difference if they hadn't read the book. Exactly, because the connective tissue between them all is so shoddy that it's really hard to, to at least it was hard for me to understand how everything connected. It might have even made it tighter. It might have made more sense, more cohesiveness. So again, to people that say about Atlas is uh, revolutionary, groundbreaking, new, I say go watch The Fountain. And there are plenty of other films, I'm sure, that have done similar things better. Just going to get you The Fountain Blu-ray for every time you have a birthday or something. I already have it. I know. I just feel like I need to recontribute it. Okay, that's fair enough. <laughs> I know you won't complain. <laughs> no, I won't. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll give one to all my friends. I knew it. I think that'll wrap it up for this bonus episode of the show. Please write in and let us know what you thought of Cloud Atlas. It's possible that Monica and I don't know what we're talking about, that we totally missed it, that we just didn't get it. There's so much going on in this film. Maybe we missed something. So write in and let us know what you think. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at filmgeekradio.com. Don't forget to tune in next week when we'll be discussing Lincoln. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. All that money helps keep us on the air and helps keep us producing new content for you. Uh, and don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including our new podcast all about the ABC series Last Resort, Dispatches from St. Marina. Monica, where can people find you online? People can find me online at the BOFCA website. That's the Boston Online Film Critics Association. That's B-O-F-C-A dot com. They can find me at Bitch Magazine, Dig Boston, The Phoenix, and Pace Magazine, or just simply on my Twitter at MCastyMovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I Movies. I'm Andrew Johnson. You can follow some of my writing at FilmGeekRadio.com. At the moment, I'm still writing about all of the James Bond films in a series called Discovering 007. So check that out. You can also follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash writerandrew. Again, that's at writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message and let me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this week getting high on service. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!